I have to lead people through this. Again, whether I chose this change or not, I need to lead my team through this. And where am I tripping up, right? Where am I resisting? What's my roadblock? Do I know enough? Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on the Inspire podcast today is Jen Campbell, and Jen joins me from Whistler, British Columbia. And Jen is the founder and I guess also president of Action Impact Movement, a uh, leadership and management consulting firm. So Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Bart. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm glad we can take the uh, little conversation we had over coffee in Whistler late last year and and turn to this, this podcast. So I know that the topic, and you, you've literally written the book on you know how you help people overcome their resistance to change, but maybe just a quick snapshot of you, your background, and what led you to create Action Impact Movement. I started my career in management consulting, so I worked with a global firm many, many years ago now, and really got my first taste of helping people and organizations move through change. And I worked on the change management team. We actually called it change enablement because you couldn't manage change. You could only enable people to move through change was was kind of our theory. Mm-hmm. And it really got my first taste there of seeing, oh, people don't just jump on board. And if you reflect a bit, you can recognize from your own life that you don't always just jump on board with a change that somebody says is going to be a good idea. And so over the years throughout my career, I've spent a lot of time in learning and development, in consulting, um, leadership coaching and training, and really focused all around change. And I've led and consulted on many large change initiatives for organizations over the years. And you know, I had some time, and I call it my COVID project, so in <laughs> 2020, to I, I can't say I'd ever wanted to write a book, but I love putting things in binders and organizing mm-hmm. materials and things like that. So I kind of treated it like that. Mm. So I went and I pulled together all of my ideas around change management, all of my resources mm. that I've used over the years. And my belief is that change doesn't happen without a conversation. Mm. And so I had this idea of creating, you know, here's the people you need to have conversations with in order to make change happen successfully in your organization. And so I joined, I actually joined a book writing uh, program, write your own book. I could have used one of those uh, when I wrote my book. (laughs) Yeah, it was really useful. And it was, it was just more the, the habit. I'm sure when you were writing your book, it's, it's that writing habit you need to get into, right? And so writing every day, Mm -hmm. like, don't worry about flow, don't edit, just write. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for three months and I wrote a book and I had my draft ready in three months. And it was what it turned into is what are the 20 conversations you need to have to lead change effectively? And, you know, so I talk first about well, what do people go through when they go through change? What are those typical reactions? What do people feel? What are they, why do they resist? What's a roadmap through change? So I've got my own model of how do you actually take people through change? 
Uh, and then I talk about, well, who do you need to have conversations with and why are you having conversations and how do you have these conversations? And then the third part really jumps into, here's the 20 conversations that you can pick and choose from, choose your own adventure based on your situation. Go have this conversation. Here's all the questions. Here's who's probably going to need to be in your conversation. And here's what you do with that information once you have it. Well, this is exactly why I want to have you on the podcast because you know, I, I think it's it's no stretch to say the last two years, coincidentally, when you wrote your book, have been the period of most intense change in the world of work. You know, the the kind of um, acceleration of disruption and fundamentally new business models, new ways of working, entire new approaches to you know how we do business together, uh, I think it's not only that they're happening, but they're having happening faster than ever before. And people are fatigued, people are exhausted, and of course, people are resistant. And so I, I in, in our work at the Humphrey Group, we work with a lot of leaders and managers who are saying, you know, how do I get people to just embrace new? <laughs> and that's why I wanted to talk to you, because you really uh, have written the book on why communication is fundamental to doing that. So I, I thought we could start uh, with you know, how people react to change. Because I know in the book, you say there's some predictable patterns when people are faced with change. And I'm sure listening to this, everyone will kind of see themselves in them. I certainly did a few. But what do people predictably feel or do when faced with change? Sure. And I I talk about the seven dynamics of change in the book, which was first written, written about by Ken Blanchard many years ago. Um, and, it, and it does really, what you say, right, outline these predictable patterns that people go through when they're faced with change, you know, and whether that's moving house, changing jobs, or being part of a big organizational change. And these same things will happen whether you've chosen the change or it's been imposed on you. Really? So, so, so it hits you even, that's, sorry to interrupt you, that's, that's really interesting because we often feel like these hit you, I would have thought these hit you much harder if someone imposes the change on you, but you're saying it's, it doesn't matter that you feel either way. I'm surprised at that. And degree, I think, would be different, whether it hits you harder, as you say, or not. But um, but whether you choose to change or not, you're still going to go through these likely seven predictable patterns, just in varying degrees. Okay. And so I'll give you an example of one. Um, for example, people focus mostly on losses before they focus mm. on gains. So take moving house, for example. And I know you've moved across the country, mm-hmm, as have mm-hmm. I. Um you know, and I may be moving to a bigger house in a better neighborhood with, you know, better schools for my kids, whatever it is, like all these great yeah. things about why I'm moving. But I'll often focus on what am I leaving behind? I'm leaving my friends behind, you know, those flowers mm. that I love in my backyard, mm. my favorite coffee shop up the street. Um, right. So I focus on these losses before I sort of get to the point of gains. And a lot of that has to do with what I like to use as William Bridges model as well is that transitions, right? Something mm. has to end before something new begins. Mm. And so people sort of focus on what am I going to lose before I recognize what I'm going to gain. And in, you know, in an organization that may be, I'm moving to a new team, joining a new team, which is a great career move, but I'm leaving behind relationships in my old team, perhaps my desk or my office mm-hmm. that I loved or my work from home arrangement that I had, because maybe I won't be able to do the same thing anymore. And so, again, both of these are showing that I'm moving to something better, but I have to get over my losses first. And that's, so that's also tied to, you know, that pattern. I'm sure you know that um, cognitive bias, the you know, loss aversion, right? We feel the pain of a loss more acutely than the potential of a gain or 
And so you really, we hold on to even things that we know we should leave for too long. Exactly. Exactly. We've certainly all been there at various points in our lives, right? Whether it's something big or something small, like I just can't get rid of this pair of socks yes. or whatever. <laughs> Good. So what's, what's another uh, yeah. thing that people feel when they face change? So one of the other big ones I find, and I actually do an activity around this when I do training around change, and it works every single time. And I love it. But one is people revert back to their old ways if mm. the new way is not reinforced. Okay. And so the reason to stay change really needs to be more compelling than the reason to re- mm. revert back. So just think of New Year's resolutioners, right? Every January at the gym, although, you know, gyms have been up and down <laughs> these days, but every January, everybody's got that New Year's resolution to get fit. I go to the gym, right? <laughs> um, you know, but come late February, you don't see those people anymore. Right. Um, of course, they've already paid their full worked... year subscriptions. <laughs> of course, exactly, exactly. The gyms have worked this out, um, but they weren't seeing results fast enough, perhaps, or right. it just wasn't compelling enough to them for to continue to get up at six o'clock in the morning to work out or whatever they were doing. You know, and organizations see this in lots of different ways with simple or complex changes. You know, take um, one place I was working one time, the the organization implemented a new communication tool, this new platform that I had to go to, and I, I can't remember if we had to log into, but let's say you had to log into this separate platform that's separate from your email, even separate from like the company news page. Um, and for a period of time, the leaders and the communication team are posting everything to this mm-hmm, new platform. Mm-hmm. You know, but after a while, they notice that people aren't responding. They're not taking the actions that they've requested through this platform. Maybe it's training they're supposed to complete or something like that. Uh, and so then they go back and they start posting to the platform and sending it to people's emails again um, to try and get that engagement up. And then people fade away, right? They fade away. They go, oh, it just comes to my email that I have every day. I don't have to go to this new platform anymore. I've worn them down. I've worn those communication people down um, and they're just emailing me again. And this new platform dies on the vine because there is no compelling reason to continue to go there. So the takeaway I'm hearing is you not only need to have something as good, but it's got to be like 1.5 times, for lack of a better term. Like you've got to be able to really create something so much better that you overcome that inherent reluctance to change. Is that right? Yes. And so something that's so much better that people can get behind and buy into and believe is possible. And also take away the old, right? Like you, ah, so, if yes. this, <laughs> so don't give them the option. It's almost like, yeah, don't it, give like, them the option. It has to be better. And by the way, you can't use the old one. <laughs> exactly. So especially when it comes to systems, right? Like right. you've got to get rid of that old one or people will continue right. to use it. Um, you know, if people are forced to use a new system, they, they'll eventually have to do it or they'll have to get somebody else to help them do it or they'll sort of use it maybe not as effectively as they could. Yeah. But Yes, there needs to be something compelling to keep people from reverting back to their old ways because we will all do that because that's yes, what we, we know, right? It's that comfort zone. What's the last? What's get, what's the last one? I know we can't go through all seven here, and people just have to buy your book. But what would be the third that really uh, stands out that leaders should be aware of when trying to get people to to change? Uh, I think I'm going to say two, and I'll give an example of one. Oh, you squeeze two in, Jen. I, was, <laughs> I squeeze two in. Go for it. Because I feel they go together. They feel like they're alone um, Mm. in the change. Even though Mm. you're all going through the same thing, 
you, we all feel like our situation is unique. And, you know, the example I actually give in the book is um, when my parents divorced as a kid. So I have two siblings. So we were all going through exactly the same thing. But we really sort of reverted to our own little lives of dealing with it, right? Hmm. Instead of sort of dealing with it as a team, if you will. And so the same thing can happen in organizations. People get this sense of, well, this is my situation is unique. It's only happening to me. Right. Um, and, and I don't ask for help. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, I, I like I think that is true. You know, we're all even if you might be in a massive organization or in a team, everyone's reactions are unique to them. And that we really have to be aware of that. Be aware of that. And I so, so I, you know, another example of feeling all alone is, um, Bart, obviously, I know your wife, we met at a mother's group. Mm-hmm. And that's a perfect example of, you know, every new mom is going through something pretty similar um, of trying to sort out this mm-hmm. new little life that they're dealing with and, uh, and you know, coming together as a group, what should we did with this mother's group and sort of getting that support of each other and recognizing this is, I used to facilitate one of the groups and, you know, I can remember mom saying, oh, I came into this thinking I was the only one going through this, right. but I recognize that we're all going through the same thing. And, you know, that's the same thing in organizations, right? Getting people to reckon, this is why you need conversations, mm-hmm. getting people to recognize, you know what, we're all going through the same thing. We all need some support to get through this. So how mm-hmm. is that going to work? Yeah, I think that's a great example. And, you know, this, it's kind of wild to think back and think, wow, you know, I thought I was the only one, but I think you're right that it's a predictable pattern that we do feel that we're, we're all alone when we're facing the change. So, mm-hmm. okay. So what I, People have these predictable patterns to react. That then leads, I know you talk about in your book, it leads to resistance. And and what I thought was interesting in our conversations in your book is that resistance manifests itself in different ways. And and you've got three. What are the three ways that people show resistance? Usually there are these three reasons why people resist. And and let me just say first that resistance is inevitable during change. (laughs) You know, we gave some examples before of even when I've chosen the change and I'm, I'm moving from my new house to my big other house, uh, to my moving to my new house. Mm -hmm. Um, I've still got some resistance, right? I'm going to miss some things from before. And I say, it's good. You want to uncover this resistance. It gives you something to have a conversation about so you can then work through it. So people resist for three reasons. So they're not aware, like they didn't, they didn't know what was happening or, you know, it hasn't become relevant to them yet. So you may have sent out a million communications on this change that's happening, but it hasn't really affected my life yet. So I haven't read any of them. And so only when I come to the point, maybe it's a new system where I'm cut off from the network, Hmm. I go, oh, hold on a second. Uh, I should perhaps pay attention to this now. So I simply wasn't aware. You may have think that I've been resisting, but I just actually didn't know what was going Mm, on. Okay. Um, the second was, is perhaps I'm not able to do the new thing. Huh. I don't have the skills to actually make the change work. I don't have the skills to work in the new way um, you want me to be. I So I became a skier when we moved out here. I, hmm. My change was I wanted to become a skier. Well, I didn't even know how to put my skis on or carry them <laughs> from the car. Right. So that was literally my first lesson. Right. And so I had to learn to become a skier. Hmm. And the same thing in organizations. If you want, I mean, you do lots of training and communications, right? You need to teach people a new way to do something so that they are capable of making the change. Yeah. I mean, I think back, you know, we've worked with companies where they'll say, hey, we're going to, we want to improve the efficiency and quality of thinking that's presented to the board. So we're going to have this whole new template 
and then they give the template and then it's a disaster. And then we'll come in, we'll say, have you taught them how to actually formulate thinking in a way that will present? So, well, maybe not, <laughs> you know, so that, exactly. so of exactly. course people are resisting because they're not equipped to be successful. And they, as you said, back in the, uh, you know, reasons why people are anxious about change, they want to default to what does work. And so inevitably they just go back to using the old template and it falls apart. Exactly. Exactly. You've seen it. You've seen it in action. <laughs> and then that third reason why people resist is they just might not be willing. And this often relates back to um, what they believe they're losing, right? We talked mm. earlier about people go to losses first. Yeah. So they want to hold on to the past like a little bit longer. And so they they show some sort of resistance to that, right? So it's really important to uncover what people feel they're going to lose. So you can help them go through that ending, through that neutral zone and into that new beginning. Hmm. So I, I see that, you know, being able to like be aware of why resistance is coming, they're not aware, they're not able, not willing, then you can begin to be more intentional in how you're having these conversations that you talk about in the book to get people to move forward. I know you have 20 in the book, you know, and uh, again, mm-hmm. it's, a good, it's a good call to action to, to, for people to buy the book. It's a great book. It's an easy read and, and good examples. Um, but let's just kind of look into some of the ones that you think are worth really highlighting for people uh, that leaders should be aware of that can be used to help people deal with these common reactions, these patterns of change, and also the resistance that that comes. Where should we start as leaders if we're going to kind of get through this? Absolutely. So uh, as I said earlier, I believe change happens through conversation and those first conversations need to be with yourself. So if mm-hmm. I'm the leader what I call a change instigator, and I need to lead this change, I need to have a little self-reflection on what is my own areas of resistance, Mm. roadblocks that I may have. Um, So I have, there's three sets of conversations that make up those 20 conversations in the book. And this first set is called the self-reflection conversations. And Mm. there's three in there um, that have different purposes. Um, But one is really just to, what have been patterns of how you've reacted to Mm. change over the years, right? Maybe a personal change, change at work. What are some of the patterns that you have? Do you like change? What's your approach to change? And so understanding that, because I've worked with, this one actually stemmed from a leader that I've worked with who uh, she had to implement a global change that was coming and she had to then implement it in her organization. And you could tell that she was resistant to this and she was saying all the right things Mm -hmm. like, all right, we got to go off and do this and make this happen. I'm in the teams, but she wasn't totally bought in. Hmm. And people recognize that, right? And they know, well, she's not totally bought in. Right, so why should we? I'm not going to be totally bought in. Exactly. Um, So it's really digging into what's my approach? Where am I resisting? How am I going to get over my own resistance so that I can then lead others through it? What I think about is so fascinating about this is that when you talk to managers and executives and leaders who are tasked with leading change, I, I won't say that there's a, a blaming, but often they'll say the people aren't buying in for this. They aren't buying in for that. And there's almost never any self-reflection about their own hesitancy. Is that something that you, is that why you start with this? Yes, that's exactly why. And this is where I actually, when I was putting together the book and deciding how I was going to write, I sort of had started out with that, like, here's the five people that you need mm-hmm. to have conversations with. And the first one is yourself, sort of morphed mm-hmm. into these, the different conversations to have and with different people. But it really is reflecting on, I have to lead people through this. Again, whether I chose this change or not, I need to lead my team through this. Mm-hmm. And where am I tripping up, right? Where mm-hmm. am I 
resisting? What's my roadblock? Do I know enough? So I have, there's one called prepare yourself to lead. <clears throat> Tell me about that one. Um, so it goes through my model of change, which I call the ABC transition roadmap. So A being awareness. So to get people from point A to point B, where you're mm-hmm. changed, they need to be aware. They need to buy in and believe that the change is possible. Mm-hmm. They need to have the capability and the capacity to actually do it. And this is what I think one of the biggest things that gets missed in organizations is we just pile on change. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. go, oh, and we want to do this. So do this off the side of your desk. Well, that's not going to make change unless something else comes off my to-do list. So capability and capacity, then you're getting to commitment and continuation. So that's your ultimate goal is to get people committed, Mm -hmm. but also, or, and you need them to continue. So this is where, because if they're just committed, they have that chance of reverting back to the old ways, right? Mm. You want them to continue to make decisions and direction in the direction that you're going. Mm. And so the, if you need to take people through this what I call the ABC transition roadmap to get to your desired results. First, you need to work yourself through that as well. And so that prepare yourself to lead conversation really takes you through, okay, what do I need as the leader? Do I have enough awareness of this? Do I need more? Am I bought in? What's going to help me buy in? Um, Do I actually believe that this is possible? So if we don't believe change is possible, we're not going to do it right. If I don't believe that I can run a marathon, I will never run a marathon. Um, So, so you've got to get, so that first conversation with yourself, you've got to understand what am I trying to do? Do I think it's possible? Am I bought in? These are the kinds of, and what do I need to yes. make it happen? Like, and until you can really have that conversation with yourself, there's no point in talking to anyone else. Agree. Okay. So once you've had that conversation with yourself, let's imagine you've had it, you've kind of, you've, you've made peace with yourself. You're like, you know what? We've got to do it. It's worth doing. I believe it. I'm empowered to do this. Okay, now I got to have conversations. And I know that my team or my organization is going to inevitably, because as you've talked about, inevitably have some apprehension, some resistance. What is the conversation or the kind of conversation that you need to be having with your people? So this is where you jump to the engagement conversations in the book. And these are the conversations you take to the field office, to the branch, the plant floor, to all of your employees, your personal team, um, and possibly your clients as well. And these are the opportunities really for people to feel heard, for you as a leader to really uncover those reasons for resistance and to collectively come up with a positive way forward. Um, So there's different conversations for different situations. So let's say you've just announced the change. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say, so this big change has been announced. You want to know what people actually heard. Mm-hmm. So what you said and what people heard can often be two different things. Okay, t- t- yeah. Let's let's just delve into that for a sec. So how do you? I mean, because you you get I see this all the time. You know, an executive gives a big presentation. They say, oh, you know, we're going to make this huge change. We're going to move to you know a giant SAP enterprise software system. This is going to have huge benefits. Everyone's going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you listen to people say, this is ridiculous. This is going to crush us. We can't do this, blah, blah, blah. So how, I'm assuming that's the kind of cognitive dissonance that you're, that you're talking about. How do you get to that? How do you find out what people thought they heard or what people, what people actually heard? (laughs) You have to debrief conversation. Hmm. Okay. So you dive into, and, and this is actually based on a model. I don't know if you've ever seen the book, um, The Art of Focus Conversation, one no. of my favorites from years ago, okay. dog-eared on my bookshelf. 
Um, and I use that focused conversation model for this and then, and, and then approach it from a point of change. And so you really, you, you bring people together and usually you can do, I mean, you can do these one-on-one -on -one or you can do it in a group. Likely you may get a group of people together, right? Your own team, for mm -hmm. example. And you may decide if you as the leader are the right person to facilitate this or if you want sort of a neutral third mm -hmm. party. But you bring them together and you have four sets of questions. So objective questions that focus on the facts. What did we, what did we hear? What did we see? What, um, like, so just facts, no feelings, just the facts, right? I heard the president say that we are moving to this new SAP system. I heard him say that it's going to be great. <laughs> Whatever mm -hmm. you heard, like, what are the facts that were said? Um, and then you get into those reflective questions on, uh, you know, how do I feel about this change? What's my reaction to this change? And giving people that opportunity to express those, whether it's, you know, some of them you might have are more comfortable writing it down. Some of them you can facilitate in the room. Um, what surprised you? What sounded like good hmm. news? Like hmm. sort of the, what are the reactions to this? Hmm. And then you get into the third set of questions, which is interpretive questions. So you focus on what's the impact or and how are we interpreting this? So how will these changes affect our team? Right. Uh, what changes, what changes seem to align with our current direction hmm. and where they, where do they not align? Um, who's going to be most impacted by this change? So really interpreting the information, those facts and those feelings that you've ha heard and, and had. Mm -hmm. And then getting into those decisional questions. So action and next steps. So what information do we need to now more effectively deal with this change? Or what do we need to do differently as a team to move forward? Or, you know, what do we need to focus on to move forward? So it's that Debrief, and, the, and I find really when you do those facts mm -hmm. at the beginning to hear what have people seen and heard, that really gets at the crux of it, right? Well, I heard this. Well, I heard this. And you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that um, kind of thing. And people pull, take away, I wrote a blog one time on, you know, what are the pieces that people have taken from your big speech that you've made? And everybody latches on to something mm. different um, for, for whatever reason, right? Right. And so figuring out, like, what are those pieces that people have latched onto? And then, you know, figuring out why have they latched onto that? Is it important? Is that, you know, a really big piece of this mm. change? Or is it something small? And maybe it's something they've latched onto. We had a senior leader in an organization latch onto a response that somebody gave during a presentation of this 10% number. And that person who gave the answer was just throwing out a number. <laughs> Not not validated number, right? Well, this senior leader was an accountant. Um, he had latched onto that number. Hmm. It took months to get him moved right. off that. We're like, no, no, that's not the and number. And it's just been a throwaway <laughs> number. But I think it's exactly. you know what's re what's really interesting in what you're saying is that you know you just can't predict what people will latch onto, and you really you know what I thought, and so few people ask the kind of questions that you're talking about. Um. Like, let's say you're a, you're a CEO, for example, and you're delivering the, you know, the story that you know, 300 or 3,000 people or 30,000 people. Like, there's no way to go have that conversation yourself. How, so do you like how do you get the information of how people received what you said without going out and having you know, 30,000 conversations? <laughs> if only we could. <laughs> um, that's where this is where I believe it's getting to those frontline people managers mm. and giving them the skill set to what what I say, embrace change, lead better. So giving them the skill set to have these conversations, 
giving them then within your organization those avenues to bubble up that information is probably going, you know, if you're in a big 30,000 person organization, you've probably got quite a communications mm-hmm, engine right. um, there. And so really giving the skills to your frontline people managers, because they're the ones who I think get missed in all of the change, the mm. typical change management mm. activities to engage in these conversations and be able to work with their people, right? Like they can probably address some of these things right. if they're equipped with it and equipped with this skill set. Um, you don't have to, not everything has to bubble up, but you know, some of those big key things maybe then bubble up through your communications channels. Right. So you really, it, like you might have to have the conversation or a conversation could be kind of a larger structure for how you're going to communicate with the organization, understand the impact of your messaging. <laughs> One other conversation I'd point out to is the is the change track record conversation. And this is really looking at what's the history of change been in your organization? Because once you start a debrief and what people have heard, right. you can jump into this one and go, We've seen this movie before, right? And That's it, a line I've heard. And it's a horror movie. And it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. I have seen how this ends. Right. Yeah. And so how do you get really how do you deal with in, that? Yeah, so the change track record conversation. So really digging into what has happened in our organization before and how have people reacted? Because you may have people on your team who have been there for two months or 20 years. And so they've got different, like the people who have been there for 20 years, they've seen it all, right? Like they have seen so many changes come through this organization. So, you know, just looking at what's happened before and what are people's experience with it? My sister and I actually did this together, uh, this conversation with ourselves going, okay, this the story of our lives, right? And she's six years younger than I am. And so this story, you kind of go, when did I come into this organization right. or this family? Right. <laughs> and what's been, like, we've had the same experiences, right? We've had the same experiences with our family. We've been on the same family trips, whatever. Mm-hmm. And And so you look at all those and then you look at, well, how was it received or how did you perceive that change when it mm. happened? And it's really interesting to see people. So some people think, oh, well, I thought it was great because I got this out of it and then mm-hmm. this and this and this. And the other person's like, well, that totally meant I had to change my mm. job. And I, it was a new system for me. Um, I worked in an organization one time where two, two companies merged and one, the system upgrade was, just an upgrade for one of the companies Mm -hmm. and it was a brand new system Mm -hmm. for the other company. So now they're having the same experience, but they've got different backgrounds with it. Right. Um, Right. So one, it was a total change and one, it's just, uh, it's just an upgrade. Right. Um, So really looking at that change track Hmm. record, has your organization successfully implemented change before? Because that then impacts the credibility of the leadership, right? So if they, if these leaders have come in and done things before and they've tanked, Mm-hmm. They're not going to have, you know, your people aren't necessarily going to have a lot of faith in you doing this next big thing. Hmm. It's really, you know, just listening to you talk through all of these conversations. I mean, I'm struck. I'm struck by this, you know, there's kind of this broad statement we'll make that people resist change. And and yet you have done uh, just this fabulous job of deconstructing the many reasons, many valid reasons that people resist strange, the many ways that people react, but also like the multitude of conversations you have to be able to have. I mean, I'm both left feeling empowered as a leader to think, hey, I can be intentional in having these conversations and also like a little um, depressed is another word, you know, like <laughs> what do you think? Like if, if all of, if there are so many reasons why people resist change and so many different conversations you have to have, how does any change ever happen? So maybe I'll just 
can you leave me with some optimism in those listening that despite all of this, um, it is possible and we know it is possible for change to happen. And not everyone will resist, you know, and again, we've been through that and your resistance, you may be able to get through it yourself, right? Okay. I moved, I, I got over it. I found a new coffee shop or I change jobs and I and I assimilate, right? Like it just takes some time to, to assimilate. But you may have sort of those those really key people who that one person on your team that just doesn't buy in. And that's where I say go and talk to that person. Get into a conversation. Help me understand, Joe, why um, what you don't like about this, whatever it is. And get into that conversation and just help that person feel heard mm. and just having that conversation may turn them. You may not have to do anything else, but you need to engage in conversations again, whether that's groups or one-on-one. And I think so many people just avoid or we assume that they're never going to buy in or we assume why they're resisting. And it may be that, you know what, they just didn't have, I, I've done a lot of work with accountants, uh, used to be a lot of red pens that you needed to do your job. You know what? They just didn't have enough red pens to do their job. So it might be something totally simple, um, but they just needed it said or needed a small problem fixed and needed to be heard. And then you can move on. Meanwhile, we've, you know, kept ourselves up nights stressing about this. Get into the conversations. You'll be amazed at what you hear. And you may turn that person and they Mm. may be a super advocate for what you're doing. I say use their energy for good instead of evil. Mm. And and off you go. Well, I think that is empowering. I think, you know, you're right. Not, you know, we know, I don't know what the, how the pie graph breaks down, but when you announce a big change or in a small change, you know, you, you've got a chunk of people who are just bothering. <laughs> you've got a chunk of people who yeah. are open to being convinced. And then there's some resistance. And so I think if we think, I'm, the way I'm thinking about these tools is to really apply them to those who need them. Starting with yourself. I love that idea that you need to really be honest and have an authentic conversation with yourself so you can get bought mm-hmm. in. But then to really almost be empathetic, be more empathetic by having these conversations to understand how people are receiving what you're saying so that what you say may not be what they hear. Their legacy and history around change may be different and impact it. And so there's just good work to be done. And whether it's you able to do it yourself on one conversation or multiple, or one person, or if you're senior leader with a large organization empowering people to have those conversations for you. I think uh, there's a lot to really think about here that can make you a more effective leader in times of change. I agree. I think it's the new, you know, there's so much on leadership development uh, over the years. And I think over the last couple of years, there's just been so much change hitting organizations that I think this is, this is the new thing. And I mean, there's articles about this as well that, you know, being able to lead through change is one of the key skills for leaders these days. And as I say, embrace change, lead better. And I think this is a place to start, get into these conversations. It can be easier. You can make it easier. You can have a little fun along the way too, I might even add. Yeah, it is fun. And you know, then when you can work through some of this, then you can see your changes take place. And uh, and that's good. Just make sure you get rid of the old system so no one can go back to it. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. right. Janet, I still have my BlackBerry. <laughs> no, let go, Jen. It's over. It's over. <laughs> it doesn't work anymore. I know. They, well, they took the system relic. away, right? I saw that. They <laughs> and said, it's done. We're, yeah. We're not going to exactly. support you anymore for people who won't embrace yeah. the new. <laughs> so, Jen, where can uh, where can people go get your book, and what other resources do you offer that uh, that you recommend to people? 
Absolutely. So the book is available on Amazon. So you can find the book on Amazon either in paperback or as an ebook. You can also get it on Apple Books or Kobo in digital form. And for any of those in Whistler, you can buy it at Armchair Books. A little plug for great, a great local great business shop. here. Great shop. <laughs> Great shop, indeed. And uh, in terms of other resources, so I do a lot of coaching around change. So as I said, I, I coach like instigators of change to help them sort of craft their way forward. I look at things sort of, I, I've done a lot of change management work, so I'm very familiar with the change management models and, and what are all the pieces you need to have in place for change management. Um, and then I say, I sort of have this different perspective of bringing in these conversations and equipping mm -hmm. your people leaders to reflect themselves on their approach to change to be able to have these conversations and bring their people through change. So really looking at that people side of change. So I have some programs mm -hmm. uh, that I teach around those as well to bring to organizations to help them do that better. And the book is great, you know, just um, to give you a taste of it for those listening, every conversation that we've talked about is broken down. You know, what's the purpose of the conversation, when to have it, who's involved, what questions to ask. So it's kind of a there's a cheat sheet for every single one. So couldn't recommend enough. We'll put a link to it in the, the show notes. And I encourage everyone listening to connect with Jen. So, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast, Jen, and uh, helping me think differently about change. Thanks so much, Bart. It's been a pleasure. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation today with Jen Campbell, talking about the many ways that we can have conversations that lead to change. I think, you know, listening to it, it's it's really a shock when you think about how many different conversations, and I know we just touched on a few of them in the, in the pod today, how many different conversations you have to be able to have. Uh, I'm reminded of that movie Rashomon, you know, where there's a, a murder and then so many people see it differently. And change is like that. So being able to have different conversations to help people see change in the way that you see change or vice versa <laughs> is so critical. So pick up Jen's book. We put a link to it in the pod and uh, I encourage you to connect with her on LinkedIn. She she produces a lot of great content. Next time on the pod, I welcome uh, Shubayan Sanantini. He is a pediatric cardiologist and electrophysiologist at BC Children's Hospital. He is a not only a physician, but he's a leader. Uh, we got to know him through a program that we do in partnership with the Humphrey Group with the Sauter School of Business, the Physician Leadership Program. And he joins me to talk about the incredible pressures on leaders today. He comes at it through the lens of the work he's done with children and um, talks about some symptoms that you should be aware of as well and what to do about them to keep your energy up. So a uh, great conversation. Uh, join me next time for my chat with Shub Sanity. Thanks.